Um, so in the late 60s and the early 70s, there, were, uh, there was a series of studies done um, out in, uh, on the West Coast, okay? And um, what they were trying to do was they, were, they wanted to um, study uh, children and their response to delayed gratification. So they were looking at what does it do to a person, how does it affect a person if they... Are, um, if they exercise restraint with respect to gratification, okay? And so one of the parts of the, uh, one of the aspects of these studies that was done was called, and, and I kid you not, you can, you can look it up, it's on Google, all right? It was actually called the marshmallow test. And what they did was they took children, four, five, six, all the way up to nine years old. They took these children and they brought them into a room and when they had him in the room, what they did was they, it, it was bare room, they had a table, two chairs, and, uh, and so they would sit down, and the child would sit down, they would give instructions. There are actually some children that were, um, that like didn't pass even just the minimum, so they couldn't go through with the study because they couldn't understand the directions, which is really funny when you find out that the directions were, um, alright, you have 15 minutes in this room. It's just you and a marshmallow. You can eat the marshmallow or you can wait. At the end of 15 minutes, you'll get another marshmallow if you haven't eaten the marshmallow. The delayed gratification. If you wait, at the end of that time, you will get another marshmallow. And so the interviewer, the one giving the directions, leading the study, would sit for a minute or two, and then they would leave the room. And, of course, they're watching these children who are now face-to-face with a marshmallow. And the things that they did were absolutely hysterical. So, for instance, one boy is recorded as having licked the table all around the marshmallow as if the marshmallow properties were like, you know, boiling over onto the table. Um, they kicked the table. They turned away from the marshmallow. They put their back to the marshmallow. They, one girl took her ponytails and she yanked them, I, I guess, in some, you know, to, to distract her from the, the treat. And then there were those kids that couldn't wait. And they just dove right in and they ate the marshmallow. Um, surprisingly, a large number of them, upwards of 75 to 80 percent of them, actually restrained themselves so that they could get the second marshmallow. What they did after that, this is interesting, is, is they followed those kids on into life. And they followed them, they monitored their successes. And probably not surprising to you that the children that exercised restraint in the early years exercised restraint in the older years, and they were more successful in life. doesn't really have anything to do with the sermon, but but this morning we're in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And we're going to be looking at a guy named Simeon. And, and Simeon was waiting on the Lord. It's the hardest part. It, is, it really is one of the hardest things to do. But Simeon was waiting, and that, that waiting in his heart built and built and built and built. Because, as you'll see, Simeon had been given a promise by God himself that he would not die until 
he had seen the consolation of Israel, till he had seen the Messiah come. And so in the story, when the Messiah comes, Simeon lays eyes on him, holds him, and then he bursts forth in song. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, if you grab a blue pew Bible, you'll find the story beginning on page 725. So let's read God's Word together. We're going to begin in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time for their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel." The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineal, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And a child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word this morning. Um, As we come to it, may our meditations upon it and the words of my lips concerning it be acceptable in your sight. For your glory and for our good. Amen. So, here we we have Simeon's, what we call, what I've termed a song of hope. It's... It is, uh, it's Simeon's song of hope. We're going to look at three parts of it this morning. First, a song of hope is grounded in God's promises. Grounded in God's promises. The second part is, a song of hope is guided by God's plan. And thirdly, a song of hope is given to God's people. So let's look at this first part. A song of hope is grounded in God's promises. So when you look at the passage, when you look at what's happening in the story, 
Everything that is in here, right? All of the parts and pieces are directing us backwards into the Old Testament to the Old Covenant. And you see this because one of the things, if, if you look at it, you'll notice is that a number of times it refers to the law of Moses. Verse 20, uh, 21, verse 22, verse 23, verse 24, on down uh, to verse 39. The law of the Lord is this recurring theme that is happening in the passage. The law of the Lord, the law of the Lord, the law of the Lord, the law of the Lord. And what Luke wants you to understand is that none of this is happening in a vacuum. It is happening because it is the fulfillment. Because these are God's people. Joseph and Mary are devout Jews. Jesus himself, born into a Jewish family, a Jew. And and he wants you to understand his connection to the promise. Everything that is happening is grounded in God's promises. The way that Joseph and Mary do exactly what is prescribed for them in the law. Look at verse 21. On the eighth day when it was time to circumcise them. Right? So they know their duty, they know their responsibility, and they're following it. When it was time to circumcise them, he was named Jesus. Then, after the circumcision... There was a, a period, a waiting period of about uh, 32 days in which they had to wait in order because Mary was considered ceremonially unclean. So they had to wait for this period before then they went and presented the child at the temple. And so they are now going, they're presenting the child and um, in Jerusalem, they're presenting the child to the Lord because that's what you did with the firstborn. Then they're required to to make an offering. And so they're not, and this is where we learn that Joseph and Mary are, uh, are of um, somewhat low estate. Uh, they, they don't have a whole lot of money. We don't know that they're not destitute, but they're certainly not wealthy, which is why they offer the two birds, the, the two pigeons or, or um, uh, yeah, so the two birds, um, turtle doves. The doves. And, and so we're learning about Joseph and Mary. They followed the rules. They did what they were supposed to do. Everything that is happening in the passage is because Joseph and Mary trust the Lord. They obey the law. They're connected. And then we learn there's this guy, Simeon. And Simeon knows the word of the Lord as well. He knows God. He's devout. And what is he waiting for? It says that he was waiting for the consolation, verse 25, of Israel. Simeon has been waiting his entire life to see God fulfill the messianic promises of the old covenant. And it just so happens that the the Spirit of the Lord has appeared to Simeon and told Simeon he wouldn't die until that has happened. So there is Simeon, he's waiting, all of this comes together as the Spirit of the Lord comes and says, hey, the time is now, he goes up to the temple, he's there at the same time that Joseph and Mary are there, he sees the child, and he takes the child in his arms. Now, you know, from having looked at at the Old Testament this morning, Mary and read for us out of Isaiah, that the promises of God 
were just bubbling up. They're there. There's the promise of one who is going to come. He is going to restore the throne of his father David. He is going to heal the land. He is going to restore his people. All of these things. And they're coming together here at this point in our passage. And so this song that Simeon has in his heart, that he wells up and begins to sing, is all grounded in the promise. Now, just go all the way back to the book of Genesis and begin to think about the promises that were given there. Think about the promise that was given to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. You will be a blessing to the nations. I will give you a land. You will have descendants as numerous as the sand in the sky, and the, or the sand in the sky, the sand on the seashore, and the stars in the sky. All of those promises. But we back up one step further to Genesis chapter three, fifteen, and you'll remember there in that passage we are reminded. That God is going to, He is going to send one who will crush the head of the serpent. It's the original promise. And all of these promises now are coming together, they're merging together in the person of Jesus. The weight has been tremendous. From Isaiah to this point in the story, 700 years. Seven Hundred years have passed since the promises were given to Isaiah. And here is Simeon. We don't even know who this guy is. He's just an average Joe. But he believes. He trusts. He has a hope. He is waiting patiently for the Lord to fulfill his promise. He's waiting. Now, he didn't wait 700 years. Because he wasn't 700 years old. But he was waiting what appears to be his entire life. It sounds as if he was born into a, a believing family. He himself was a believer. He trusted in God. He was waiting on the Messiah. And there he is now, the promise being fulfilled. There are two. His song comes out of his two hopes. First, his hope in the promise of the Old Testament being fulfilled. To him and to the generations to come. And second, that his hope that he personally would lay eyes on the Savior. Those two hopes have now come together and have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And that's where Simeon's song arises out of. So think about it. Simeon is waiting That's one of the themes that runs through this passage. He is waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. When the Holy Spirit comes and ministers to him and tells him, now is the time, and he goes up to the temple, and he lays eyes on Jesus, everything comes together, what happens next for him? He praises God. He sings what we would term a new song. He lets loose with this new song. And so there, I I just want you to see, right, his hope is grounded in God's promises. The second part of this is this. A song of hope is guided by God's plan. Notice what Simeon says in the song here. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Now, 
The your there obviously refers to God. Simeon is saying, my eyes have seen the salvation which God has prepared in the sight of all nations. Now think about what you and I have the privilege of celebrating at this time of the year is nothing less than a partial fulfillment of God's plan of salvation. God's plan of salvation today, next week, on Christmas, when we get together and we are worshiping tomorrow, 1030, uh, t- tomorrow, next Sunday, 1030, just like we always do. When we worship next week, we are worshiping the partial fulfillment of God's promises. It's not complete yet. Things have not reached their fruition yet. Did Jesus come? Yes. Did he die on a cross? Yes. Has he completed the work of salvation? No. Because we ha- he hasn't come for his own yet. And so that's why when we say in the creeds that we are waiting for this time when He will come, He will fulfill all that He has been given. Now think about this for Simeon. Your salvation isn't... Okay, this is a little confusing for you. Is your salvation complete? Yes and no. It was completed on the cross because Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. It's been credit, His righteousness has been credited to your account. But you have not yet received all that you will receive in your glorification. So is your salvation complete? Yes, it's complete. It's as sure as I'm standing here completed. Is it completed? No, not fully yet. Are you with me? Now think about what Simeon is experiencing. Okay? Here is Simeon. And notice what he says. My eyes have seen your salvation. What is he looking at when he says that? He's looking at a baby. He is looking at Mary and Joseph's infant. And what is he singing? He begins singing, my eyes have seen your salvation. No, they haven't. They've seen a baby. He had, he had laid eyes on the infant child. But he knew, because God had revealed to him, had given him a direct revelation, he knew that that child represented and was the salvation of God's people. Even at that 40 days old, when Simeon saw the infant, he knew. It's done. It's as good as finished. And for Simeon just to see the infant, to see the Messiah, he was completely confident. He had not a doubt in the world, not a worry in the world, that that infant was going to be the salvation of all Israel, and not just Israel, but the Gentiles as well, as we'll see here in just a minute. Think about that. The, The confidence... The ability to believe and to know with a surety and a certitude that that infant was going to bring salvation for all people. I don't know about you. We have the Bible. We have history. We look back through it. There are still times, there are times in my life, what are you doing? I wonder. I doubt. I just go there. I, I can't help it. I'm, I'm too human, I suppose. But I doubt sometimes. I struggle with that. And Simeon sees the child. There doesn't appear to be one shred of doubt in his mind 
that the infant is going to be the hope for God's people. And so here in this part, as we're looking at it, right, God's plan is part of and and gives rise to the song of hope that Simeon is singing. Think about this. That God had intended all along to bless the people, to show the people His love through the Messiah, and all of that is being realized right here at just the right. Galatians 4.4 says, in the fullness of time. This is the fullness of time. This is when everything is happening. It was the right place. Think about where Israel is. Think about where he's born, right? To the north is Eurasia. To the west is Europe. To the south is Africa. To the east is Orient. There he is, born right in the center of it all, on a postage stamp of property, no doubt, but right exactly in the center of the world. And who was ruling? The Romans were ruling. We had the the Pax Romana, the the roads, the language, the commonality. All of these things were coming together. It was the perfect storm. So that the message could then be carried by Jews who were dispersed and had already been dispersed all over the, the known world. And there is Jesus born right into the center of it at just the right time. God's plan coming to fruition, and Simeon getting to lay eyes on it. And then what was it? What was the plan? The plan was for a baby to be born into the world, the incarnate Son of God. It's the ultimate picture of involvement that Jesus would come down, that God would come down and take on flesh. And listen, it it wasn't the poor, the poorness of the situation wasn't his taking on flesh as it was that, but it was even more than that. He took on the flesh of a Jew. There's been, I mean, at this point, what they have gone through in in the... um, and the, their exiles and their persecutions and being at this point under the thumb of Roman rule. It, it will go on and on and on. It has continued on. You can look back through Jewish history and see the most despised, the most hated, perhaps of all the peoples on the planet. And he takes on that flesh and he lives in that land. It's the ultimate sign, if you will, of God saying, I am going to become one of you in order to rescue you. I am going to become one of you in order to rescue you. How many of y'all, how many of y'all know the, the name Mo Leverett? Any of y'all familiar with Mo? Number of you. So Mo's a musician. He's down in Jacksonville, Florida now. But a number of years ago, many years ago, uh, fresh out of seminary, Mo moved down to New Orleans. And he didn't just move to New Orleans. He moved to the Ninth Ward 
of New Orleans. The worst of the worst. And he moved into that neighborhood in order to minister to that neighborhood. And by all accounts, Moe's ministry there was what we would term very successful. He reached large swaths of those neighborhoods. He befriended those young men and those young women. Um, they were in his home constantly. He, it was an, it's an amazing story of ministry. The hurricane of uh, the uh, Katrina drove him out of out of New Orleans, and and he hasn't gone back. That ministry, however, continues. Danny Warfel, um, any of Florida folks, uh, continues down there um, in New Orleans. But that's a picture, right? That's just a small picture of a young man moving into the heart of the worst of the worst, some of the worst streets in our land, in order to minister to those people. Now just magnify it. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords, God's plan was for him to move into our world. Okay? This isn't the ninth ward. This is, you know, yeah. He gave up all of that in order to come down here and minister to us. As Genesis says, to crush the head of the serpent for us. That's God's plan. That's divine intervention. That is, that, that is the divine rescue of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And He does it for people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation around the globe. And here's what I want you to hear. As you think about that, God's plan was not to come down to earth to give you a leg up, to help a, a not-so-bad person be just a little bit better. That wasn't His plan. That isn't a part of His plan. He, he, he didn't come down here to clean us up. He came down here to rescue us from deadness. Right? So he didn't he didn't throw you a life preserver while you were floundering around under the top of the water. He dove down into the ocean, went to the very bottom, he cut the chains that bound you to the bottom of the ocean, he brought you to the surface and he breathed life into your lungs. That's the picture. And that's what he did. And Simeon knows it, he gets it, he hears it, and that's why he's singing the song that he's singing. So first, this song of hope is grounded in God's promises. It's guided by God's plan. And here's the final one. It is given to God's people. Look at the final words of the song of hope that he is singing. He says that this is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Basically what Simeon is saying is, this is a salvation for anyone and everyone, for, for all who would believe. As Paul puts it, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. He didn't hold back. Jesus came to be a Savior for all men everywhere. And you consider... When you consider that, you look around the world that we're living in, it's easy to frame up the lines, right? It's bad people over here, really bad people over here, these people don't like us. Just 
For, for a minute, imagine this. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and immediately, Herod, Herod, starts killing baby boys. Why? Because he was the worst of the worst, and he understood that were this birth to be allowed, that men everywhere would see the light. And we talk about evil in the world. That's evil. Let's just start killing all children under two years of age so that we can ensure that that light doesn't shine in the hearts of men. And it has continued. But here's what I want you to hear. Jesus was born for men like Herod. Which means He was born for men and women like us. Jesus takes it later and he says, if you've been angry at someone in your heart, you've what? You've murdered them. You, you have the seed of murder in your heart. Has it grown to the fullest? No. Is it a full grown tree in your life? Probably not. Most of you haven't committed actual physical murder. But what Jesus says, it's all right there in your heart. The DNA for all of that, the DNA for Herod, the DNA for Hitler, the DNA for Saddam Hussein resides in your heart and my heart. It's there. And that's what he came to die for. That's what he came to undo. And he came to do it for people all around the globe. It is, yeah, I can't get, I, I, I can't, I don't think I can communicate how revolutionary it is when he says it is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That would be like someone coming to us and saying, the whole message to us is, Jesus died for ISIS. Do you believe that? People outside... On the fringe. That's who Jesus came for. He didn't just come for his nice little pocket of people. He came for the whole globe. And what does that give rise to? In Simeon's life, it gives rise to a new song. The gospel is all, it's for all men, and he is breaking forth in a new song. Listen. There are three psalms that start specifically with these words. Psalm 96, 98, and 149. Sing to the Lord a new song. Isaiah 42.10. Sing to the Lord a new song. Psalm 33.3. Sing to the Lord a new song. Psalm 144. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Why, why a new song? Psalm 40 gives us a clue. Psalm 40, the psalmist has waited patiently for the Lord for some sort of deliverance. God hears him and rescues him. And one of the things that he does for him in the deliverance is he puts a new song in his mouth. Psalm 40, verse 3. A new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. I want you to think about it. This morning we've sung three times. All of them old songs. Hey, it's okay to sing old songs. But think about what a new song is. A new song for the psalmist was a new 
crystal clear, fresh vision of God's grace and mercy. Right? So think about this. Someone awakens to the gospel in 2017. What do they want to do? When I first came to Christ, I had a little notebook. And uh, I, I still have it. I was stationed in Turkey at the time, 1988, 89, 90, in those time frame. And I had this notebook, and I wrote down all sorts of new things that were happening in, in my life because I, was, I had just come to faith. I had just trusted Christ. And everything was new and exciting. And I was learning all of these new things. So I had this notebook. I go back, it is absolutely the worst theology you've ever seen in your life, okay? I did not know much. But what I knew was God had awakened me. And when God awakens you, when 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 that fresh movement of grace, when that understanding of God's glory, when something awakens in your heart. And listen, all throughout my Christian walk, that that happens. It doesn't happen every day, but it is ongoing. It is happening. Why? Because God's huge. I am still learning about God, still learning about myself. And I hope you are too. But when those things happen, We burst forth in a new song. There's something new there. Why? Because it's a fresh understanding of God's grace in our life. This is exactly what happened. Not only for Simeon, for Mary, for Elizabeth. We're, we have seen their songs already. They knew what God was going to do. But when it started happening in their lives, it just comes out. When the wait is over, when the prayers are answered, when they finally get it, when their understanding is is renewed, there's a new song. Next week, Christmas Day, it's raining. Next week, Christmas Day, we are going to look at a new song in Revelation chapter 5. The new song in Revelation chapter 5. I want you, we're going to talk about it a lot next week, but I want you to listen. So, what is happening in Revelation 5 is a foretaste of the Revelation study that we're going to start in February. But what happens in Revelation 5 is they are waiting for someone to open the scroll. Verse 2. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the, the, the scroll? And they say, nobody. There's nobody here that can open the scroll on heaven and earth. And I wept because no one was found. Who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside? And then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. Don't weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw the lamb looking as if it had been slain. And he went and he took the scroll. And then in verse 9 it says, All of them are around the throne and they began to sing a new song. Amazing. There in the heavenly room, 
with the angels and the elders all gathered round, and Jesus takes and He opens the scroll, and they begin to sing a new song. Why? Because the wait is over. Because the waiting is over. And as someone once sang, waiting is the hardest part. The waiting finally ends. Let me ask you this morning. Sorry, that was a terrible Tom Petty reference. Some of you didn't even get it. Some of you did. Listen, some of you are waiting. Right? You're waiting for children. You're waiting for children to come home. You're waiting for somebody in your life to get it. Somebody you've been praying for for a long time. You're waiting because perhaps, right, in your own life, you've been praying, you're hurting, you're waiting for forgiveness, you're waiting for reconciliation, you're waiting for restoration somewhere, you're waiting for things to to be better than they've been in a long time because things have been pretty rotten. You're waiting for the new year. You're waiting for a new start. You're waiting for something fresh. Can I tell you something? It's already begun. Right? There is so much for you in the gospel. Not just the moment you were saved, but today. That the king looks at you, he smiles on you, he knows your name. He is, your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. You remember that passage where the disciples have been sent out and they come back home? And, and they come back to Jesus. They say, Jesus, man, listen, we're really excited. They, all of these things happened like we were casting out demons and we were doing all this stuff. And Jesus looks at him and he says, don't be excited for all that stuff. Be excited for this. It's really raining. Jesus says this, listen. Be excited for this one thing. That your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. Wow. You're headed into 28, 2017, and your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. You know what was so phenomenal about that? Was most people have never seen their name written. And Jesus says, your name is written in the book up there forever and ever. And so is yours as you trust in Christ. The waiting is over. The Savior has come. And He has ushered in a new day. Let's pray. Father, thank You this morning for Your goodness, for Your grace and mercy. Lord, it is hard for us to comprehend all that You have for us. Father, that You have given to us new life. That You have given to us the the promise, the hope of eternal life. And that, Father, we can live in that now today. Father, you've forgiven us. You've accepted us. You've claimed us. No matter what we've done, no matter how we've lived, Father, you have told us you have come to seek and to save the lost. And so we confess our lostness and we cling to Christ. Put a new song on our hearts even this very day in Jesus' name. Amen.